Welcome back, warriors. Tanse Sego Ani Buju, Nin Deluizi Pampometer, and I'm the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, while at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, and practices. And it's also about asserting, living, and defending our sovereignty all over Turtle Island. So first, I'd like to apologize for not posting a show last week. I had some technical difficulties, which is also the reason for the delayed post today. However, I refuse to let technology get the better of me. So after consulting with the experts, who are my children, I think we have things resolved. Thank you all for your patience and your support of this podcast. It really means a lot to me. So today's show is based on an article I wrote for Canadian Dimension magazine back in April of 2019 about Canada's so-called rule of law invasions of our territories. Specifically, we are talking about the RCMP invasion of the Wet'suwet'en Nation territory back in January of 2019. This is an especially important incident because it can and will happen again and again and again. And the bitterly ironic thing about this incident is that the RCMP and the federal government defended the invasion as though it was somehow supported by what they call Canada's rule of law. But in fact, their acts are prime examples of breaches of Canada's rule of law. We all know that when a police force, army, or government starts talking about the rule of law as it relates to First Nations, we know that a violent invasion of our territory is imminent, and it is almost always attached to an extractive purpose or trying to take over more of our lands. You might be wondering why I would be talking about this nine months after it happened in Wet'suwet'en territory. But the reality is this is an ongoing issue and it's all over Turtle Island. Whenever Indigenous peoples try to protect our lands and waters or even our own people or to defend our inherent Aboriginal and treaty rights, this happens again and again. Canada, through its federal or provincial governments, sends out some kind of law enforcement, whether it be police forces or the army, to quell any resistance or any defense of our rights. I also think this is an especially relevant topic, since the Trans Mountain Pipeline is back in the news, since the federal court has agreed to hear the appeals of many of the opponents of the Trans Mountain Pipeline, which was approved for a second time after the courts had already overturned Trudeau's first approval of the pipeline. While Prime Minister Justin Trudeau makes flowery public speeches about respecting the rights of Indigenous peoples and reassures the international community that there is no relationship more important than the one with Indigenous peoples, Canada invaded sovereign Wet'suwet'en Nation territory. And that is a legal fact, a political fact, and a fact in action. When questioned, about this aggressive move at a Liberal fundraiser in Kamloops, BC, Prime Minister Trudeau responded, No, obviously, it's not an ideal situation, but at the same time, we're also a country of the rule of law. Canada's invasion of Wet'suwet'en territory through its national police force, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, also known as the RCMP, 
is itself an example of the blatant violation of the rule of law in favor of corporate interests. Canada has also consistently failed to follow the rule of law when it comes to First Nations and the violent arrests of the Wet'suwet'en people at the Gedipnan checkpoint set up in support of the Unistoten homestead and it's a glaring example of Canada's lawlessness. The people of the Wet'suwet'en nation, as represented by their traditional government, have long asserted their sovereign jurisdiction over their nation's land, which spanned more than 22,000 square kilometers in northwest British Columbia. These lands have never been ceded or surrendered, nor have their rights to use, manage, protect, or govern these lands been extinguished in any way. The nation has never signed any treaty or constitutional agreement that has specifically surrendered their sovereignty as a nation either. While there have been many federal and provincial laws that have interfered with First Nation laws in general, there has never been an explicit extinguishment of Wet'suwet'en laws and jurisdiction over their nation's sovereign territory. Their land rights are not only recognized in Canada's Constitution Act 1982, in Section 35, but they are also protected in numerous international treaties and declarations, like the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, also known as UNDRIP. In other words, there is simply no legal basis for Canada to invade their sovereign territory. The Wet'suwet'en Nation is a governing nation that has existed since time immemorial and for hundreds of thousands of years before Canada even became a state. They are made up of five clans, Big Frog, Small Frog, Wolf Bear, Fireweed, and Beaver. The Wet'suwet'en are organized through a system of hereditary leaders and have a very complex system of governance developed over time. While Canada did force the chief and council system on First Nations through the Indian Act, it was not successful in extinguishing or displacing the nation's traditional government. This is evidenced in the fact that when the Wet'suwet'en nation decided to assert their land rights in Canada's courts, they did so as a nation through their traditional government as represented by their hereditary leaders. In 1997, the Supreme Court of Canada case, it was called Delgamuk versus British Columbia, the Wet'suwet'en, together with the Gitsan, asserted their title to their lands. And while the issue was ordered back to trial, the Supreme Court of Canada made significant findings about the nature of Aboriginal title being a right to the land itself. They also said that the land is held communally by all members of the quote-unquote Aboriginal nation and it was for their exclusive use and occupation and that this land was protected in pre-existing systems of Aboriginal law, also protected in Canada's common law, long before the protection of Aboriginal rights in Section 35 of the Constitution Act. No laws have since extinguished Wet'suwet'en rights to their territory. Also significant is the fact that according to the Supreme Court of Canada jurisprudence or case law, Aboriginal title contains an inherent limitation in that Aboriginal title lands 
cannot be used in a way that is irreconcilable with the nature of the nation's attachment to those lands. And the Supreme Court of Canada explained it in this very specific way. They said, implicit in the protection of historic patterns of occupation is a recognition of the importance of the continuity of the relationship of that Aboriginal community to its land over time. So, what does this mean? What can we take from this case? Well, according to Canadian law, we know that it is the Aboriginal nation, and in this instance, the Wet'suwet'en nation, that has the legal ownership over their traditional territories, not an individual Indian Act band. So it matters little that some of the bands may have signed an agreement with the pipeline company, especially if they did so in relation to territory off the reserve and without the free prior and informed consent of the people and of the nation's governing representatives. We also know that the lands are not held by individuals. They are held by the whole nation. That's the core essence of what a collective interest in land is. Thus, any decisions in relation to what Soton lands rest with the nation itself. We also know that the purpose of Section 35 is to protect the many ways in which Aboriginal nations enjoy their title lands, and these nations can't use them in ways which are inconsistent with those uses, according to the Supreme Court of Canada. The court specifically stated that if Aboriginal tidal lands were used as hunting and fishing grounds in the past, then that land cannot be used today in a way that would destroy that value. And they said specifically, for example, as in strip mining. In the present case, not only were the Wet'suwet'en people using and occupying their lands, they were also protecting their lands from destruction by the coastal gas link pipeline slated to go through their territory. Whether it's coastal link pipeline with the Wet'suwet'en or it's the Dakota Access Pipeline with uh, our tribal brothers and sisters in the States or hydrofracking, the issue is all the same. If in Canada's rule of law, Aboriginal nations can't risk destroying their Aboriginal title lands for extractive projects, and that's a constitutional principle, then there is simply no way that federal or provincial governments, and certainly not corporations, should be able to do so. It's also clear that despite the media reports, this was never about a protest. This was always about the Wet'suwet'en occupying and protecting their lands that they have done from time immemorial and something that they have the Indigenous legal right to do, the Canadian legal right to do, and the international right to do. This is where the so-called rule of law comes into play. The rule of law is touted by Canada every time it actually wants to break the law. According to the UN Security Council, the rule of law means, and I quote, all persons, institutions, and entities, public and private, are accountable to laws that are publicly promulgated, equally enforced, and independently adjudicated, and which are consistent with international human rights norms and standards. 
we cannot forget that international human rights norms and standards include all of the indigenous rights and Canada has signed on to all of those norms and standards and declarations and are equally applicable in this case. It becomes very clear then that Canada has a long history of breaching the rule of law when it comes to First Nations. In the Wet'suwet'en case, Canada has prioritized the extraction interests of a corporation over the constitutionally protected rights of a sovereign Aboriginal nation. This is a clear violation of Canadian law. The Wet'suwet'en right to occupy and protect their territory is an internationally recognized and protected human rights norm, and it is now reflected in the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Article 8 of UNDRIP provides the right of Indigenous Peoples not to be subjected to the destruction of their culture, something that naturally comes from the destruction of our lands and waters with a pipeline, for example. Article 10 provides that Indigenous peoples will not be forcibly removed from their lands and territories. Yet, that's exactly what was done when the RCMP invaded Wet'suwet'en territory and arrested and removed the Wet'suwet'en people from their own lands who were acting peacefully. Articles 25 and 26 specifically protect the rights of Indigenous peoples to own use and control their traditional lands, waters, coastal seas, and all of their resources, and further protects their rights to uphold their responsibilities to future generations with regards to all of those lands, waters, and resources. Not only has Canada committed to implement UNDRIP into law, it is legally bound by many other international human rights treaties that Canada has already ratified. While UNDRIP may not be technically the law in Canada, it represents the minimum international legal norms for recognizing the core human rights of Indigenous peoples, something that Canada's rule of law requires. Canada has also issued a directive on how it should engage with Indigenous peoples on litigation relating to their rights. This is something that Canada claims is based on reconciliation with Indigenous peoples and respect for their legal rights. Former Minister of Justice Jody Wilson-Raybould made the surprising claim that although she was only just releasing this reconciliation directive in January of 2019, that Canada had been using these rules for the last two years, and we all know that that is not the case. It is important to note that this directive states that Aboriginal rights do not require a court declaration or an agreement in order to be recognized. She claims that has been the law for the two years prior to January of 2019. This is something that the Supreme Court of Canada has confirmed many times in its jurisprudence on the duty to consult, accommodate, and get consent. Yet, we know that Canada has not only failed to abide by its own litigation directive, but it has blatantly violated Wet'suwet'en laws, Canadian laws, international laws, all under the guise of what it calls the rule of law. 
when Canada sent the RCMP into sovereign Wet'suwet'en Nation territory to destroy their checkpoints and violently arrest and remove Wet'suwet'en people from their own lands, Canada became lawless. It became an outlaw state. It also violated its own litigation directive when the RCMP issued a statement saying that since there's been no court case declaring Aboriginal title for the Wet'suwet'en, the RCMP were justified in their actions. Now, that runs counter to what former Minister Jody Wilson's Raybould litigation directive said. Remember, it said, Aboriginal rights don't require a court declaration to be recognized. Yet, when it comes down to it, the federal government and its directives to the RCMP is, without a court case, it's not recognized. In denying the Wet'suwet'en their constitutionally protected legal right to enjoy their title lands, Canada has prioritized the private, economic interests of a corporation, Coastal GasLink Pipeline, over the rule of law. That's how Canada becomes an outlaw state. And in the words of the Wet'suwet'en themselves, I quote, The Unistodon homestead is not a protest or demonstration. Our clan is occupying and using our traditional territory as it has for centuries. Our homestead is a peaceful expression of our connection to our territory. It is also an example of the continuous use and occupation of our territory by our clan. In this case, the laws of Canada were neither equally enforced nor compliant with international human rights standards. Canada is simply not a country that follows the rule of law, its own rule of law or international rule of law, let alone indigenous law. Canada makes and breaks laws to suit its own economic and political interests, which run counter to those of indigenous peoples and Canadians. It's time to be honest about it and call out Canada as the outlaw that it is and take real action to support the Wet'suwet'en Nation, who are simply occupying their lands like they have from time immemorial. We all know that whether it is the Trans Mountain Pipeline, the Coastal Link Pipeline, the Dakota Access Pipeline, or whether it's another hydrofracking project, mining, forestry, fishing project, or any other extractive practice, it will pit Canada's corporate interests, protected by Canada's police forces, against the actual landowners and rights holders, which are our peoples. We also know that climate change is the proof of what we have been saying for decades, that this colonial, abusive, exploitive, and genocidal relationship that Canada has with our peoples, our lands, waters, and resources eventually won't just hurt us, but will eventually hurt everyone else as well. There is no more important time than now to stand behind our Indigenous warriors as they defend our lands and peoples from further exploitation. We all have different skills and interests and abilities and opportunities to support the warriors on the front line who are trying to protect this earth from complete and other destruction in climate change. 
We also know that Canada is guilty of genocide. By standing behind our warriors, we also help end genocide against Indigenous peoples. Our future generations, Indigenous and Canadian both, literally depend on it. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning into my show. What I'll do is I'll post a link to the Canadian Dimension article that I referenced in this podcast for your reference. And I'll also attach a few other references that talk about the struggle that Indigenous peoples have to defend themselves in this very exploitive, extractive relationship that we have with Canada. If you like this episode, please consider supporting my podcast in any number of ways by subscribing to it, liking it, sharing each episode, and make sure to leave me your show ideas in the comment section. Although my podcast, Warrior Life, is hosted on SoundCloud, you can also access it on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. Outside of my podcast, you can follow me on Instagram as Pam underscore Palmeter as I talk about warrior living. I'm also on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. And you can subscribe to my videos on YouTube where I tackle the difficult political and legal issues facing Indigenous peoples. And I've also started a new reconciliation book club where we read um a whole bunch of really amazing works from Indigenous peoples and our allies that are talking about how we take our knowledge and turn it into action for social justice and earth justice. If you would like to help me keep my media totally independent, you can always help support me on Patreon. I'll leave the link to that below as well. Till next time, keep living a warrior life. Walaliag.